We just uh, finished up Genesis chapter 42. And in Genesis chapter 42, let me just recap. The brothers went into Egypt. Uh, Joseph, who's in charge of Egypt and the selling of the food. And remember, Joseph is directing everybody who's coming from other lands. It appears he's directing them into one place. And he is the one who's overseeing all the sales. It actually says that he's the one selling it to them. So he's the overseer in that place. This was purely calculated by him. He knew his family would come. He knew that they would come because he knew that there was going to be a famine. And he actually knew how long it was going to be before they would come. They came after two years when the famine started after two years. And he can calculate all these things because he's so good in understanding these numbers. And I'm sure he's calculated how much grain a person needs to survive. So they come in and they get some food. They buy some food and then he he accuses them of being spies. And he says, you're going to have to bring to me your brother. And because they said, we're, we're all the sons of one man. We have uh, uh, one brother is still in the land of Canaan and one brother is no more. And uh, so he, he's, he's sending them back and he says, you don't come back here. You won't see my face until you bring your brother. So they go back and they tell their father and their father is not about to send Benjamin. Benjamin is the son of Rachel from the same mother that Joseph. So he had two sons by Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. They're six years apart. At this time, Joseph is 39 years old because we know he was 30 years old when he appeared before Pharaoh, it says. There were seven years of plenty that made him 37. And now they're two years into the, uh, into the famine. And we know that from things that it's going to say. They're two years into the famine. So that would place him right about 39. That would make Benjamin about 33 because there were six years between them. So the Word of God gives us little hints so we can track people's ages as, they, as it drops in these little hints. So in verse 38 of chapter 42, it says this of Genesis, chapter 42, verse 38. But Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey that you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. So he firmly plants his foot and he says, Benjamin will never go down with you. Benjamin will not go. And he says, because if something happens to Benjamin, you're going to bring down my gray hair down into Sheol in sorrow. Now Sheol, is it was believed to be a place in the middle of the earth, under the earth, where where, uh, both the good and the bad went. There was a good side and there was a bad side. There was a side that was uh, uh, parched and and, uh, in constant torment, and there was a good side. And in fact, uh, Jesus describes the good side as being called the bosom of Abraham. And when Jesus actually resurrected from the dead, he went and he took those from the good side of Sheol up to be with him. And Jesus ends up describing this. But in this case, we see he put his foot down. He says, Benjamin will not go. Now we pick it up in chapter 43, reading from verse 1. And so this is a few months after verse 38. It picks up in verse chapter 43, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land. So it came about when they had finished eating the grain which they had brought from the land of Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. Judah spoke to him, however, saying, The man solemnly warned us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. 
For the man said to us, You will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Then Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, The man questioned particularly about us and our relatives, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his questions. Could we possibly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? Judah said to his father Israel, Send the lad with me. We will arise and go, that we may live and not die. We as well as you and your little and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry them to the man as a present. A little balm, a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh and pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also, arise, return to the man, and may God Almighty grant your compassion in the sight of the man, so that, we, so that he may release to you your brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money in their hand, and Benjamin... Then they arose and went to Egypt and stood before Joseph. So in chapter 42, the end of chapter 42, he puts his foot down. He says, Benjamin's never going to go with you. Just not going to happen. Then in chapter 43, verse 1, now the famine was severe in the land. The famine was severe. God just turns up the heat a little bit. God had a purpose in bringing them down to Egypt. Joseph had a purpose in seeing his brother's changed their attitude, seeing his brothers confess to their sin, which they did in chapter 42, verse 21, show remorse for their sin, which they did in chapter 2, verse, verse 21. I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 21. They, they, they show remorse and they confess to this. And now he's going to see, do they still hate Benjamin like they hated him? He, this was purely calculated. And he knew how long their food was going to last. So I looked up some numbers for you and uh, because I wanted to know, because uh, one of the guys on the call wondered how could they carry enough food back? Didn't they just need all that food for the trip back? And remember, it says Joseph gave them food for their family and he also gave them provisions for the way. So I looked up some numbers. If you look at a pack mule, now they had donkeys, but I looked up for pack mules. The U.S. Army designates that a pack mule can carry 200 pounds 20 miles a day through the mountains. 200 pounds on a pack mule, 20 miles a day. But that's only because the U.S. Army is being merciful to pack mules. Because in 1867, the Army reported that a pack mule could carry 800 pounds. 800 pounds on a pack mule. India, in 1965, passed a, a law for prevention of cruelty to animals. And they were allowed only, uh, they were allowed 440 pounds, 200 kilos, 440 pounds per mule. So, uh, uh, a merciful number, it would be something around 450 pounds is, is not unreasonable for, for, for uh, an animal of that type to carry. So, the distance is about 450 miles, maybe a little bit longer than that, but just say 450 miles if you were to travel by car today. We don't know exactly the route that they took, 
but it's probably a little bit further. They may have gone up around the coast, but let's just say 450 miles. If they went 20 miles per day, it'd be 22 days of travel to get to Egypt, 22 days back. Let's say they, let's, so let's ballpark that at 40 days round trip. So 40 days round trip from where they are in the valley in Hebron there to, to Egypt and back. If there's no delays, 40 days round trip. Each, each of their animals carrying 450 to 500 pounds. There were 10 brothers and let's say each one had one mule. That would mean that they'd have 4,500 pounds of food. How much grain does a person need to live on? I looked that up. It says about a pound of grain per day. Now, this was a famine, so maybe they were getting away with a lot less. But let's just say if it were a pound of grain per day, that'd be 4,500 days. There were 75 people that went down into Egypt of Joseph's family that had nothing to do with his servants. 45, there was about 75, 70 or so people. Let's just say 75 people. That'd be 60 days worth of food or two months worth of food they could bring back if they had provisions for themselves for along the way. They could bring back two, two months. If each one had two animals with them, each of the 10 brothers had two animals, that would be 120 days worth of food. So what we're talking is anywhere from two to four months of food they could bring with them. Now, that's all estimated, but it gives us an idea. So say two to four months, and Joseph knew exactly how much food he gave them, and he knew how long it would last them because he knew about how many people they were and how long it would last them. And he knew exactly how much food a person needs to live on because I'm sure he had calculated this a dozen times because he was the one to, who had to plan to have enough in seven years for the entire land of Egypt over the next seven years. So he knew that they'd be back. They could not help but come back. There was going to be no food. And the famine became very severe. Why would God do that? Why would God take one of his patriarchs and turn up the heat so much on him that the famine becomes severe? And dying of famine is worse than any other death. And I know that because the Bible says it. In the book of Lamentations, it says, it says, better are those slain with the sword. In Lamentations chapter 4, verse 9. Better are those slain with the sword than those slain with hunger. For they pine away, being stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. So imagine watching your family, watching your children. And, and you know, adults can go days without food. I mean, because I, I, I know people who fast all the time and they'll go even a week without food and they still get up and they go, go about their business. It's not comfortable, but they do it. You take a child and they miss one meal and they're crying. You take a child without a meal for a couple of days and it's a big deal. Children can't go without eating and you're seeing your children pine away. You're seeing the cheeks get sucked in. I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing. The famine was severe. God sometimes turns up the heat in our lives. Not everything is always comfortable. God never promises us comfort. The only thing that we are promised in the New Testament it says, if you have food and clothing, will that you shall be content. The only thing in the New Testament that you are promised, food and covering, with that you shall be content. And the covering means clothing. You're promised clothing and you're promised your food, your sustenance. If you have a home, if you have an apartment, if you have a roof over your head, that's added blessing. We are not promised a nice house. We are not promised a car. All we are promised is food and clothing. Remember, even of Jesus, it says, it says, Jesus said, 
the, the birds of the air have nests, the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't have a home to go to. So we are promised only food and clothing. That's the only thing he promises us. As believers, we're going to have food and clothing. Here, he even restricts the food from these patriarchs because that promise came in, 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 in the epistles that, that the believers would have food and clothing. It says it came about when they had finished eating the grain. They finished it. It was gone. And they hadn't planned. It was gone. They had to get back there. When they finished eating the grain which they had bought from the land of Egypt, their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. And he says, a little food. Because when you're in a famine, all you need is a little bit. Just give us a little bit. You don't have to bring... Just go back and buy us a little food. And Judah said, we can't. The man, the commander of the land said, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. He, he made it very clear to them. And remember, their brother Simeon is in jail there. And uh, they don't want to get this man upset. And so they, 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 they start appealing to their father. And uh, uh, so it says in verse 6, now the name Israel is going to start to be used. So God had given Jacob the name Israel, and it was used on and off. Now it's really beginning to kick in. Then Israel said, why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you still had another brother? So, so Israel, Jacob says, why, why did you tell him you had another, another brother? He says, he asked us about our family. We said we are the sons of one man. So he says, is, is your father still alive? Do you have any brothers? He says, how did we know he was going to say, bring your brother here? But, and, and Joseph already knows this story. I'm, I'm sorry, Jacob already knows this story. Israel already knows this story. But he says, why did you do this to me by telling him you had another brother? When things get rough in our life, we have a way of looking at all the negative things and seeing as if they're against us. I mean, you can't blame this on the brothers. But they, they said, why did you do this to me? He says, why did you do this to me? And, you know, when things are going rough in our life, we have a way of complaining about so many things that, that we have absolutely no control over. And the person that you're complaining to couldn't have controlled it either. But this is just natural. This happens. And, uh, and I want you to think about this in light of what we're going through as, as, as a nation and as a world with this COVID pandemic. And, uh, and it says, and Judah starts appealing to his father. And sometimes children have to appeal to their fathers and to try to, to, to bring them around. And I remember with my, my father-in-law, who's now 98, Shireen's dad is 98 years old. And I, I remember he had to stop driving about, uh, I don't know, about eight, eight or nine years ago, he had to stop driving. And his kids could not get him to give up his car keys, but it was clear he couldn't drive well anymore. And so I went as a son-in-law and I said, Abaji, I think it's time. I think it's time that we, we, we just drive you everywhere, that you get driven everywhere, that you don't drive anymore. It's, it's going to be safer that way. And, uh, and so he gave up his keys. We have to appeal to people sometimes. And you can see how he's appealing to his father. And uh, obstinance is never a good thing. It's good to have convictions, but to be obstinate is never a good thing. And, and uh, he would never have given in to this had this famine not become severe. Sometimes things have to really heat up around us before we start doing what we should do. Sometimes those are the things that happen. Things start really getting rough before, before they, they get better. And it says uh, uh, in verse 11, the father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. 
So in other words, he's resigning to the fact that he's going to have to let Benjamin go. Benjamin is, is not a child anymore, even though they speak of him as a lad. He's 33 years old, but he's the youngest of his father, and he means a lot because now Rachel has died and uh, uh, died in childbirth, giving birth 33 years earlier to Benjamin. And uh, uh, as far as he knows, Joseph is dead. So he says, bring a little present. This is the same thing he did when he appeased his brother Esau. He gave him gifts. Gifts work. He wanted to smooth things over. If somebody is upset with you and you want to make build a relationship, you can go and confess to them any wrong that you've done and bring a gift with you. A gift works. You know, it's, it says in, uh, in, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 14, Proverbs 21, four, verse 14 says, A gift in secret subdues anger. A gift in secret subdues anger. Bring a gift. If you've got somebody that you have trouble with, one of the ways that you can smooth this thing is find out what do they like and buy them that. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, if you want to smooth things out with, 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 a, with a man, you want to smooth things out, men love tools. They can never have enough screwdrivers. They can never have enough pocket knives. I mean, you know, it's just some little thing, little tool, and, and they get happy. And uh, uh, they, they just like those sort of things. And uh, um, so you, you can appease them in that way. Just bring a gift. Just say, you know, I just thought you might like this. I know you like fixing things, and, and, and here's some tools. For it. And, and uh, um, you bring gifts. And he says, bring, bring the man a present. And he says, a little bomb. They didn't have much. But in a famine, a little bit is something. This is not to feed the land of Egypt. This is just a little gift, just for the man, not for his whole household. Bring a little balm, a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. So this was not, you say, if he's got almonds, why don't they live off of this? Because it's not like they have a storehouse full of almonds. They probably have a small bag of almonds. So bring him that. He's bringing the man gifts. He did the same thing and it worked very well with his brother Esau. And then in verse 12, he says, take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Remember, Joseph had had the money, the exact bag that each man brought, that exact bag of money, not just the equivalent, but that exact bag of money. And you could tell that it was your bag because, you know, the coins, maybe you brought, you know, one, one coin of gold and seven pieces of silver or something, and the other person brought in, an, in, in, in some other, other uh, um, ty- types of, of, of bills or currency. And so you see that, that um, he says, bring it back. Even though the money was given, he was returning it. We are obliged as believers to walk uprightly. Even if the things have come upon us in a way that, that uh, uh, was somebody else's mistake, it is up to us to make it right. I remember when I was uh, 14, I started working in a gas station, and we, the, it got so busy sometimes, and we, we were pumping the gas. It wasn't self-serve in those days, certainly not in New York State, and we had to pump the gas for everybody in the highways. They, it was on a highway, and they would just come in, and we would get wads of cash because credit card use in those days was much less, and uh, we were exchanging cash, and I remember that there were times where I gave too much change back to a person because you're working so hard and we didn't have a register. We were going just wads of cash and a pocket full of money. And if we were short, the boss would take it out of our, our money. And I was getting $2.10 an hour. I started at $1.85 an hour. And then like six months into when I was working, it went up to $2.10 an hour. And it was so easy to lose hours of work 
just by making a simple mistake. And I remember sometimes giving too much change back and people returning it to me and what it meant to me. And then I remember other times giving too much change back and the people looking at me a little bit strange and then taking it. And I remember as I was walking away, I thought, no, no, that's wrong. And I started, hey, hey, hey. Uh, uh, and the person took it and I had to call them back. We are obliged, whatever is done, to walk uprightly, to walk honestly, and if somebody's given us too much, to return it. And uh, we're obliged to do that as believers. Then he says, take your brother also, in verse 13. Remember in verse 38 of chapter 42, he says, says uh, my son shall not go down with you. Now he says, take your brother also. So we're only two to four months, two to four months after this. So in two to four months, he went for, from... He will not go down with you to take him. Because the alternative is, Benjamin starves. The alternative is, everyone starves. And so, the circumstances changed his attitude. And very often, circumstances will change our attitudes too. Things, things, the, the heat is turned up on us. And then you see his godliness. He says, take your brother and arise and return to the man. Verse 14. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man so that he will release to you your, bro- your other brother, that's Simeon, and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He commits this to God. He said, remember, we go, you can go through whole chapters in the book of Genesis where there's no mention of God. But these patriarchs really held God fast, particularly uh, Abraham and uh, uh, Jacob, Israel. And he says, God Almighty grant you compassion. It is a good thing to testify of God. It is a good thing to, to say, may God be with you. May God grant you this. He's proclaiming, God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man. So he's just calling down compassion from God Almighty. May God grant you favor in his eyes. I pray this stuff all the time. When I have a meeting with certain people, I say, Lord, please grant me favor in their eyes. Lord, grant me favor in their eyes. Where did I learn to pray this? It's from the scriptures. Lord, grant me favor. Lord, and I said, Lord, I'm speaking to my program manager today, the people that control the funding for my grants. Lord, grant me favor in his eyes this day. Grant me favor in this man's eyes. I have to appeal to somebody. Lord, grant me favor in their eyes. And God Almighty says, God Almighty, grant you compassion in the sight of the man. May he be compassionate toward you so that he will release to you your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. I give up. I put a, I just put my heel down. I just, just, just dug right in. Benjamin shall not go with you. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. And the world has a set of circumstances that can come upon you. And as I look at our world and what the world is going through and this pandemic, we, we may have thought at one point, I'll never wear a mask. I mean, that's crazy. And I remember going to Asia at times and seeing people wearing masks around. And this is, this is you know, years ago, even, even, even 30 years ago when I w- would travel to Asia uh, for work and I'd see people with masks. I remember turning to my host, who was in Japan, and I'd say, why are these people wearing masks? What's going on? He says, oh, they're, they're, they're probably ill and they don't want to spread it around. And, uh, and I think, well, I wouldn't walk around wearing a mask like that. Well, I wear a mask every day. 
as soon as they step out of this house, I, I wear a mask. At the university, if, if you, you, you know you get in trouble, you go without a mask. I mean, things change. You may have a certain views about, you know, I don't want to have to go to, through this. And then this pandemic hits and, all right, I guess I've got to stay in my house. I've got to close my laboratory. You know, there are things that hit us. I've got to close my business. I have to change my work. I've got, got to not meet in person anymore. For me, I mean, going to church was like, I mean, I never missed church. I never met assembling together every week. That's just what I did. And, uh, uh, and then we couldn't assemble together, and we had to do it online. We had, to, we had to do what we could do and function as we can function. And things come upon us and change our life and make it hard. And uh, uh, it, it gets hard, and so things come upon us. These are the things that, that come upon us. But I'll tell you, in the midst of it, God is doing amazing things. And I am sure many of you online could share stories of something that God is doing that never would have happened had this pandemic not hit. And I'll tell you in my life some of the things that are, have happened. I just really expanded my internet presence. Really expanded it. And uh, um, so I've, I've gotten much more serious about my, my uh, YouTube channel, DR James Tour. And it's gone up just in the last month as I've, we've come out with some more videos from like a 1,000 uh, uh, subscribers to over 7,000 subscribers just in a month. Um, and so, so there's many more people listening. And now we're, we're going to com- be coming out with more and more content. I put this, uh, this notice on my website, and I've said it in a few of my videos, that if anybody does not know the Lord, now this is very specific, if anybody does not know the Lord, and lots of people contact me, yeah, yeah, we'd love to spend an hour with you by Zoom. If you know the Lord, this is not for you. I got... I got I got things to do in life as well. But if you don't know the Lord, this is for you. If you do not know Jesus and you want me to share with you about my story of my coming to Jesus, I will meet with you by Zoom for an hour and we will have just this one-on-one discussion. Now through that, I've led many people to the Lord. Maybe even some of you on this call led many people to the Lord. Even just this last week, I mean, a woman in, in a Muslim country contacted me and she was a a young woman in a Muslim country and I shared with her and she just started weeping and prayed the sinner's prayer with me very quietly because her family was all around her and uh, uh, but she very quietly whispered into the microphone the sinner's prayer and she was just weeping and and uh, I've got her set up with with someone else to meet with her a woman to meet with her now regularly to take her through this and people all over the world meeting with me. I've got three people that I'm meeting with just this afternoon setting this up. And so my target before COVID hit was to get one person to come to the Lord every week, every week to lead one person to the Lord. And then COVID hit and it became really hard for me to be able to do that. And now I'm just to the point where we're reaching those numbers of on average one person a week coming to the Lord. And so I think it's going to get even better. And I can sit in the comfort of my own home now and share with people. And before we would have lunches, as many of you, as of you know, in my home. And that was my mode of evangelism. We would have Bible studies and we would invite students into our home. And there I would start conversations. And they're in my home and I'd, I'd, I'd get people to turn. And so now the Lord has shown me that just even through electronically, people are coming to the Lord all over the world now. I had to have the world come to me. I had to have international students come from other places and come into my home. Now they can sit in the comfort of their own home and get saved. 
And so the Lord has opened things up for me. And, uh, and it's interesting. Um, so, so, you know, I talk a lot on origin of life. And uh, I just, just did one, one video for a, a university called St. Andrews University. I had no idea. I'd never heard of St. Andrews. It turns out to be a Seventh-day Adventist school. And I did this video for them on origin of life. And I put it up on the Dr. James Tour uh, 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 YouTube channel. has like over 30,000 views in like a week and a half. And, and uh, then one person came out with a, uh, with a video just trashing everything that I've said on Origin of Life. And so many people are concerned. This guy has almost a million subscribers. And they're contacting me. They feel so bad because he attacked me on Origin of Life. He attacked my faith. He attacked the resurrection of Jesus Christ, calling it a myth. And, and, and everything about it. And he psychoanalyzed me. He, knew, he knows things about me that I don't even know. And uh, he said all these things, and they're so upset about this. And they said, you know, they're writing this in the comments, and then those comments get deleted. So he's taking those off. And, and uh, so it forced me to go back, and I've spent just a bunch of hours coming with videos to just show scientifically how wrong he is. But this is going to explode. I haven't, I haven't put up any of those yet because they're, they're just being edited now uh, by some professionals that help me out, and they're going to put those up. But this is just going to explode. I know it's going to explode. And so God's doing many things. I'm just giving you examples. When God turns up the heat in our life, when the famine gets severe, there are things that you can accomplish that you never would have accomplished. I'll give you another example. You know, I've got, I've got a bunch of startup companies. Um, I, think, I think now the number is up to 14, and which means that it's based on my intellectual property but I don't do anything with the companies. And I'm not an officer, director. There's CEOs and, and directors and boards of these. I'm not part of them. And so many companies are having so much trouble in these days. Well, I'll tell you, because, because of the pandemic, some of my companies are just exploding because they learned how to tie into the needs of the pandemic. And they're just, they're just doing great. There are things that can happen because of rough times that come that you never would have thought of. And so let's look at what the scriptures have to say to encourage us into this. So I want you to uh, open up to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I speak from want. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means, I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is not a bunch of platitudes. I want you to really think about this. He says, I'm not speaking from what? He was writing from prison. What you and I are going through is nothing compared to what he was going through. Their prisons were dark and damp and lonely. And I saw prisons when I've traveled to Israel. I've seen the types of prisons that, that, that the, these were. They were not comfortable. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am, I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. You know, living in prosperity is not easy. It's not easy to live in prosperity. D.L. Moody, the, the great evangelist, says, We can stand affliction Better than we can stand prosperity. For in prosperity, we forget God. It is not easy to walk prosperously and with the Lord. It is not because you forget God. 
So he says, I've learned to walk with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to say, say, you know, what exactly do I do to get hold of that sort of attitude? What can I do? Well, he gives you the prescription right above that. So now turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Here is what you have to do to be able to capture what he has just said that he can live with. Be anxious, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, you just commit this to God. That is very specific. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So you got to fall on your knees and pray about this. Go back to your room and pray about this. You, You give this to God. You give this, you turn over to God your struggles. With thanksgiving, you thank God, Lord, I thank you for what I have. This pandemic's been hard on me. This is what's happening in my life. This is what's happening in my life. I've not been able to do my research. I've not been able to do these internships that I was promised. But Lord, I thank you because you've been with me. You pray with thanksgiving. The scriptures speak specifically. You pray with thanksgiving. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A guy just emailed me this morning. He says, this guy said really vulgar things about you in that, in that video. Uh, and, uh, and I said, you know, I've seen the video. I'm really at peace. It's not bothering me a bit. I've made videos. I'll come out with those. But people are much more upset for me than I am for myself. Because I had perfect peace in this. Verse, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So when you start dwelling on bad things, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and you can't sleep and you go down this vortex right down the drain. He says, don't dwell on that stuff. I want you to dwell on good things. Think about good things. Is there something good in your life? Anything good that you can think about? Do you have a roof over your head? Thank God for the roof over your head. Thank God because you have a book bag. Thank God because you, you, you just imagine if you lost everything that you have not given thanks for. You know, just poof, 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 things around you started disappearing because you never gave thanks for that. Imagine that. You start giving thanks for the things that you have and the peace of God is going to fill you. He says, you think about the things that are good. This is how you get that peace he has that says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you take it and you do what he says here. And then in verse 9, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes through practice. You practice these things. Just reading them, nothing will happen in your your life. You practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You learn to give thanks in all situations. You pray about your problems and you give thanks for what you have. And then you start dwelling on good things. And then the peace of God will come. You do what it says here and the peace of God will come. We have to resign to things. I am one small man. What can I do about a global pandemic? Nothing. Absolutely nothing I can do to change this. This is in God's hands. But in the midst of this, I'm going to be fruitful. In the midst of this, I'm going to trust God that he's going to 
cause the results in my lab. We were out of our lab for two and a half months. And I said, Lord, I pray that the results in my lab, that you will give us back the, the, the months that were taken away. And he has. He has. You pray. You ask God. He does amazing things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. And I pray for these young people on the line specifically that you would give them a new heart, that they would do exactly as in Philippians chapter 4, that they would look at the situation and start giving thanks and praying about the things that are coming against them and that they would dwell on the things that are good and right and holy and excellent and honorable. And Lord, that the peace of God would fill them, that they would learn even in this young age to walk with prosperity and in humble means, that they would learn to walk in days like this. Father, I pray for your grace to be upon them, your grace in the name of the Lord Jesus to be upon them, I pray. Father, I pray for the older people here, that you would continue to fill them with your strength and with your sustenance. The grace of God be with them, I pray. Continue to fill them from the word of God. And Father, for the unbelievers on this line, I pray, Lord, that you work in their lives and that you draw them to Jesus. Father, that they may know that they could taste of the goodness of God if they'd come to him. Glory be to your name, O Lord. Glory be to your name. Amen. And let me just reiterate that announcement. If you do not know the Lord, I encourage you. I encourage you to to, uh, uh, give me an hour with you by Zoom. And... uh, um, you contact me and you request that time and uh, you'll get saved. You'll know the Lord and you'll be able to tap into the things I'm talking about. If you don't know the Lord, I mean, all of this is a bunch of words. It's, it's hard to tap into this.